The Nonprofit Hour, a weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do-gooders, with interviews, profiles, and documentaries. This is the Nonprofit Hour program here on X-Ray FM. The show is brought to us by the Media Institute for Social Change, a public interest media lab that works to inspire, empower, and engage emerging media producers. I'm Jason Dennington. In today's Nonprofit Hour show, we'll be continuing in our series of conversations with candidates currently running for city council seats in which we talk to them about what makes Portland unique the problems we may be facing in our city in the future, and the ways in which government and nonprofits can work collaboratively to solve the pressing issues shaping our community's destinies. First up in the show, we'll be hearing from Fred Stewart, a real estate broker and longtime resident and community activist from the Northeast Portland area, who is making another run for elected office this year in a bid for seat number four on the city council a position held by current commissioner Steve Novick. In the second half of the show today, we'll hear another segment from our most recent live show at the Waypost on North Williams, where Phil Bussey talked with an assistant attorney general for the Oregon Department of Justice and current Portland mayoral candidate David Shore. If you haven't checked out one of our live events, we'll be having our next one on Sunday, May 1st at 5 p.m. at the Waypost, where we'll be speaking with City Commissioner Amanda Fritz and representatives from Oregon Wild and Sisters of the Road, as well as some live music from the band Irving. First up in the nonprofit news today, we'll be talking about an organization that is very important to our show, and that is the station you're hearing us on, X-Ray FM. As you may be aware, X-Ray is a community-supported radio station whose mission it is to raise a microphone to the voices that represent our city and get the message out about what makes up the character of Portland. Currently, we are in the middle of the spring fundraising drive, and listener support is what makes up a majority of the budget necessary to keep bringing this news and music to you day after day and week after week. As a supporting member of X-Ray, you get a keychain fob that entitles you to discounts around town with several of X-Ray's underwriting sponsors, as well as invitations to special events throughout the year. You can find out more about becoming a subscribing member and some of the great thank you gifts on offer by calling 503-610-6103 or going to www.xray.fm and clicking on the blue donate button in the top corner. There, you can also find out about bidding on some very cool new auction items for the Spring Drive, which include a chance to work with the brewmaster of Coalition Brewing in creating your own special brew recipe, which they will hold a special tapping event with you when it is completed, or a chance to get a Taylor guitar that conveniently comes with a guitar lesson from none other than Chris Funk of the Decemberists. Those are some great perks for joining the X-Ray family, but most of all, by calling 503-610-6103, you'll be supporting the creation of radio that truly represents Portland, instead of some corporate radio that gets its programming format handed down from a formula that was cooked up at headquarters in some other state. 
Here to talk to us a little more about the important reasons why X-Ray is looking for your support is Jefferson Smith. X-Ray works to put a microphone to the best and most distinctive of our community to build a culturally relevant center, channeling who we are as a community, also nudging us towards what we could be, what we hope to be, truly connected to the creative community and to our democracy, working for a stronger independent media and a more just community. Nonprofits are a big part of the best and most distinctive of Portland and a big part of how our people spend their lives, estimated to make up like 12% of private sector jobs. Telling the stories of nonprofits is something we're honored to do, and your help makes it possible. So call 503-610-6103. That's 503-610-6103. Become a member. 20 bucks a month, you get a cool t-shirt. You can give more, 10 bucks a month. Make a one-time gift, five bucks a month for students, seniors, and starving artists, a million dollars a month if you probably don't exist, or give whatever you can. Again, call 503-610-6103, or go online to xray.fm, click the blue donate button. Radio's yours. Help us make more. Now on to our conversations for the week. Here's Phil Bussey with City Council candidate Fred Stewart. Thank about the paths you take. How will you leave your mark? Where will you finish? Or did you even start? Don't just exist living in mass confusion. Do nothing's perpetuate the problems. We need solutions. Flowers bloom worldwide. They spread the beauty. So open your petals. This is your duty. So to one and all realize we all are kings and queens. So stand for something. Or you'll fall for anything. Oh, where are you going, my friend? What will be said of you when it's come to an end? Will you do something positive or never do a good thing? Think about it. Where are you going? Where are you going, my friend? What will be said of you when it's come to an end? Will you do something positive? This is Phil Bussey. It's the Nonprofit Hour. That was Me, Fi, Me, which is a, a, a great song selection from our guest, Fred Stewart, who is a candidate for city council. I, that, that's like your, that should be like your hail to the chief that you have uh, play out every time you enter a room. That is my favorite song. And uh, I put in my will that uh, if I should pass before my family does, I want uh, that song to be played at my funeral. <laughs> uh, Fred, thanks for joining us in the studio today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you... You're, you're you're running for city council. This is not your first time running for office. No, it's not. It's my third time running for office. If you don't count the time that I threw my name in the hat to be appointed to be a state senator. Yeah, so you you uh, rolling back uh, 20 years, more than 20 years. 20 years, now. yeah, tw- uh, 24 uh, years. So you jumped in against uh, Margaret Carter. Yep, in 92. For a state senator. No, state rep. She state, wasn't a sta- senator yet. Okay. Yeah. And then ran against uh, Nick Fish for city council. I ran against Nick Fish for city council. That was an open seat, remember, because Eric didn't step down. Right, right. Yeah. And now you are jumping in uh, for city council again. Correct. And I came in third. Lemon Week likes to keep saying that I came in fourth and didn't get any votes and all this other stuff. But I came in third. For the Nick Fish. For and, the Nick Fish and, run. Uh, Nick Fish was running against who was that? Nobody. It was an open seat. Uh, it was uh, Nick Fish, Jim Madaw, 
I came in third. Um, I think um, Ed Guerin came in next, and uh, uh, Harold Williamson too. Well, and so, why why do you keep doing this? Well, there's two reasons why I keep doing it. One, I know I would be a better city commissioner than anybody on the city council. Period. Um, and we need good leadership, and we need people who are dedicated to Portland on city council. Um, with the exception of of, uh, of of Saltzman, I don't think anybody on city council really wants to be there. Um, not as far as to do the work. Um, either they're looking at running for office for another higher seat, like a federal job, like the guy that I'm running against, Steve Novick. Um, Steve Novick absolutely doesn't want this job. He uh, is just staying here to, keep, to protect his name familiarity so that uh, either he gets the minerals in two years to run against uh, uh, Earl Blumenauer or he's hoping one of these old guys die for him. But uh, he doesn't want the job. I want the job. And that makes a, me a completely different individual than anybody on there. And and uh, let's talk about why you want the job. And again, this is nonprofit hour. We talk about a lot of uh, public issues, affordability, mm-hmm. and and uh, environmental issues. But what are you hoping to roll up your sleeves and and dig into? Well, first off, I think my entire life I've been a public servant, even though I've run a real estate company most of the last twenty seven years. Um, or bar most of the last 27 years, I um, have always run things in, in, the, in the goal of improving the neighborhood. Even the time I bought a bar, I bought a bar to get rid of a strip club. You know, that was the only way I could get the strip club out of the neighborhood was to buy it. So, you know, and that wasn't a good business decision, by the way. But um, I look back at my life, and I think that's kind of what... Um, is the heart of everything that I've done. I want to make the neighborhood better for my community, for my family, for my friends. And uh, I want something uh, one day from that my daughter may be proud of. And that's kind of how I live my life. Now, why do I want to run right now? Um, like I said, my, the people I'm running against don't want to be there. Um, in general, there's a lack of public servant uh, attitude toward uh, the work of, of, of city council that starts at the city council level at the top and it goes all the way through. I'm not saying that uh, your average um, employee at the, at, at the city doesn't have a spirit of, 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 uh, of public service, but it's really hard to have that every day when your bosses don't have it, when the decisions that, that are being made don't reflect the values of the city that you work for, of the people that you work for. You know, I'm a perfect example of why this city is great. You know, I'm a 51-year-old black man um, in Portland living in a mostly white city. And I think anybody who's looked at my my uh, life over the last 27 years, hell, the last 40 years, would say that I've been able to contribute. I've been able to um, engage and learn. And I've been able to do things that uh, a guy like me couldn't have done the day I was born. And that just shows the progressive, the forward progressiveness of this city, and that is something that is not reflected in our city council. Let's 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 take a little bit to a little while just to dig into some of that a bit. So, you you grew up here in Portland. Yes, I moved here. I was army brat the first eleven years of my life. So I've lived all over the country, and I lived in Europe for a little bit. You know, uh, when I was a child, and uh, my mother moved us here um, and uh, made this our hometown. Uh, my grandfather had been living here since 1935, so you know it wasn't like we came here to a bunch of strangers. You know we had uh, some uh, connections here, and 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 obviously, I mean, people talk a lot about how the city's been changing the last five years, but 
even more dramatically over the last 40 years. And, and mm-hmm. so you, you've watched it, you've witnessed it. What, what, what is, what has been preserved that is good? And what do you most miss about what was here in Portland 40 years ago? What's been preserved is something you really can't see, you can only feel, and that's the progressive spirit, that things can always be made better, for, not just for an in- individual, but for everybody. You know, um, I moved here on the 16th of August of 1976, and for the first four hours I was in Portland, my grandfather was driving us around and giving us a tour. And then that following weekend, we literally went on a walk all through downtown Portland. You know, so I got a lot of memories of what the city looked like in 1976. Well, it was just a year earlier they had just approved the, uh, was it the uh, Portland plan? And uh, if you look at the old Portland plan, it was all to make the communities, not just a a community, the communities better, function better, of course, bring in density uh, so that there would be more jobs in the inner core. And that was even done mostly for a lot of people for environmental reasons and livability reasons. Wasn't done just for financial reasons. And, um, you know, I can remember all of this stuff growing up and hearing, uh, you know, our, what I would call now our elders, you know, the adults at the time, talk about what they expected, you know, in the future for their city. So, yes, I don't look at just the changes of the last five years. I look at the changes from the time I first moved here, changes that were predicted by a lot of people. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like this isn't, isn't a surprise, I think, to most people who grew up here. I think what's a surprise is how aggressive it is. I mean, this is a, this is a monster. And, and I mean, in a lot of the changes that, that, uh, is talked about, especially, uh, in North Portland where our recording studio is and, and are the, is the loss and the displacement of a lot of the black community and, and how much of that is, do you feel like is the fault of city council or, and, or, how much could have city council done 10, 15 years ago to... Oh, this is a very broad question. First <laughs> off, I will, I will say this. Our city does horribly when it comes to planning for affordable housing um, and small businesses. It's horrible. It's absolutely atrocious. And because of that, it is very easy for people in, all, in, in, in the lower economic ranges uh, to be displaced, period, whether you're black or white. Uh, you know, people keep talking about the displacement of black people in Portland. We have to understand that I went to high school at, at in Clinton, uh, not Clinton, but at, at Cleveland High School and in, uh, at Washington High School before that. So those white people in the Buckman area back then and in the Clinton area back in the day, they were about equal financially with the people over here in Northeast Portland. And so I tell people, um, what are we going to do about the displaced white people in Buckman and the displaced white people in Clinton? This is not a racial um, overthrow. If you want to get into racial overthrows, we've had those in Portland. We've had three significant ones. This is not one of them. This is an economic turnover. And it's affecting white people even more than blacks, but it's affecting everybody. I say every household that grosses, to a degree, it's affecting every household that grosses under 100000 a year which makes it a very unique um, economic uh, turnover. Um, I mean, the, the, a, hundred, a household of $100,000 would be considered a fairly successful financially uh, in most markets uh, household. In this market, if they're renting, they're not so successful. If they own, they're probably doing okay. 
And 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 in terms of the context of this discussion, is there something you as a city council member uh, immediately would want to do or long range would want to put in to, to affect that affordability or to, to help out? Well, first off, the city has got to start planning for all stages of the economic chain. You know, we, we're going to have very rich people in this town. We're going it's happening, you know. We got to plan for the middle class, and we got to plan for the for the for affordable housing, and we also have to make sure we have uh, trans- transitional housing. You know, transitional housing, uh, you know, is kind of like a, a lot of people these days don't understand what that is, uh, or they think they know what it is. You remember that song by the Village People, YMCA? Of course. Okay, you remember what you talked about? You know, if a guy needed a place to stay and a place to shower. He could he could go. We don't have very many places like that in Portland. So if something happens and he, uh, you lose your job, you break up with your girlfriend, you lose your place to live, whatever, there's really no way for a person who's fallen down in that area to get back up unless they can find somebody to you know couch surf or they got the money to to you know find a place really quick when in a market like this is very difficult. Um, we need tr- more transitional housing. Another thing we need um, is the city has to be more direct in that it has to start investing in, in land banking. The city has an absolute responsibility to, uh, and this is going to force them to start planning for lower income people, to articulate affordable housing zones where they're going to own real estate and they're going to partner up with uh, nonprofits you know, out there, like my favorite one, Reach, but there are, other, there are others. And uh, in the future... Um, develop affordable housing opportunities. And, uh, you know, I, t- I tell people the city does great for, for planning for higher middle class and flat-out wealthy people. It does an outstanding job. If I was filthy rich, Portland would be the place I'd move to no matter what city I lived in this country. But, you know, if you are a person that's making 50 grand a year or less, your wife is making 50 grand a year or less, uh, you know, I should say your spouse uh, is making 50 grand a year or less, and you don't own your home, your city is not planning for you at all, period. Um, they're planning for your bosses, but they're not planning for you. Fred Stewart is a candidate for city council, and we are talking with him on the nonprofit hour here. Let's, I, Fred, my history of city council goes, I, I know about the last 30 years of it. Has there ever been a black man that served on city council? There has been two. Okay. Uh, the last one was uh, um, was uh, actually I worked on that campaign. Uh, Charlie Hales defeated Dick Bogle um, in the primary in 1992. Before then, we had Charles Jordan. Um, other than that, we've never had. Um, well, we if we had a black person on city council, he looked he or she looked white. <laughs> but the, those are the only two obvious black candidates we've ever had. And and uh, this is a difficult question perhaps to answer, but how significant is that to your campaign? You know, um, I it's, it, it does come up. I hope it's not as significant as people feel I can do the job and want to do the job. That's what I hope. Um, I hope that we've progressed to that. I do know there's an issue with uh, inclusiveness. Our city commissioners do not have 
um, good relationships with black people outside of the Rolodex Negroes that they've been able to develop over the years. You know, um, they've got, they all got their favorite. Well, I don't think Steve has got a favorite Rolodex Negro. We were, we were talking about that the other day. He really, he doesn't think he needs to develop one because he's handicapped. So he probably feels, hey, I'm a minority enough. I don't need a black person. <laughs> but uh, the other people really, they don't really, they're not really in, ingrained um, in the black community as much as I wish they would. Uh, we've had city commissioners do, go there and it was, it's always worked out great for us. Um, you know, great for the city. When I say us, I'm not talking about just for black people. Um, a lot of misunderstandings, a lot of things can get done if you've got somebody who can, who can reach out, um, you know, like that. And we've had that before. We don't have that today. So when you hear me talk about these white people not being inclusive, it's a little bit of being disappointed. And it's also understanding um, we've been inclusive before. You know what I mean? And we just don't have it today. It's like something we, you're used to having and then you don't have any more. Let's talk about uh, if, if you're elected, uh, top three bureaus you'd want to be in charge of. Well, there's three bureaus that I'd love to. One, I want to create a new bureau. I want to bring back the Portland Youth Bureau. The city of Portland used to have a youth bureau four years ago. And they would invest in children as far as things that, for children to do after school. You know, back when we were kids, they called them latchkey kids. And, um, you know, I look at a lot of changes that the city made when it started not investing in children and everything went up, you know, for white people, white people started hurting themselves more. When I say hurting themselves more, they started dropping out of school more. They started having more babies. They started doing all the negative stuff on the black side of things. We started hurting other people more. Our gangs came in, you know, a lot of negative, a lot of the positiveness that we had in the black community 40 and 50 years ago left. And I think that's because of uh, we've not invested in our young people at the level that we should. You know, we are a hardworking town. And, you know, after school, you know, every educator I've talked to, everybody who works with kids tells me three to six for white people, three to eight in general are very dangerous times of the day because kids don't, they're usually not around their parents. You know, they, they were left to their own devices. And uh, I think the city of Portland needs to step into that. Uh, you know, there's resources that the city used to have 40 years ago, 50 years ago, that they just stopped investing. Um, I want kids to have some place to go that they can learn new things, that they can invest in new things as far as their time. And, and, and uh, you know, um, I want to start addressing um problems with children before they become critical. Um, I also want the Portland Police Bureau because I don't think the city council has run the Portland Police Bureau well um, over the last 30 years. And I think it's unfair to the cops and I think it's definitely unfair to the city. Definitely. Um, I definitely uh, um, feel that I can run the, 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 the cops a lot better. I want BOAC. Uh, that's the emergency uh, part of the city uh, because I want to imp improve that and I also want to be uh, the leader in getting the city ready for an earthquake that I'm sure, I mean, I'm 51, and I feel if I live another 20 years on this planet, I feel I'm, I'm probably, along with you and everybody else, going to be here for it. So I want the city to get more directly involved in that. And then, you know, even though I may not have the bureaus, you know, I know I'm going to have influence on everything in the city. And, uh, you know, I definitely want to have, you know, influence on, on things when it comes to development and our relationships with businesses. And, and I also want to have influence on housing and the development of housing. 
and how we plan for housing in the future. So um, I'm, if I get on city council, and I hope everybody votes for me, I'm going to be a very active city commissioner. Um, I'm walking away from a job I've worked over 25 years to get to where I'm at. And where I'm at right now, I'm a real estate broker, and I'm selling houses between 400000 and $1 million. You know, that's not bad. You know, that's more than minimum wage for sure. I'm walking away from uh, a career that I've worked 25 years to develop to this point because I feel what's best for the community and best for me is to go into public service. And and um, let's we're going to return to that point in just a second. This is your third campaign, third really full campaign that, you, that you've run. What are you doing differently this time? I mean, I, I assume that there are some mistakes you can look back onto or things that you wish you had done better on previous campaigns. How are you running this one differently? Well, this one's a little bit better organized. Um, you know, I'm raising money. I'm, um, I'm treating it like a regular campaign, and that's what I think I did wrong in the, in the past. Is even though I was campaigning, I don't think I was, I, I don't think I was going through the interview process like I should, and let people know uh, what my visions are, and let people know that I'm a person that they can engage with, and most importantly. Um, a person that is sincere, you know. I'm not running for office because I want to be a senator or a congressman one day. Um, there's only two jobs I ever plan on having and one I'm doing right now. One is a real estate broker. I absolutely have an insatiable appetite to sell houses, not just because of the money. I just love doing it. The other one is to be a city commissioner, and I have an absolute insatiable appetite to improve my community. And I think they both go hand in hand. And um, so I'm showing that and I'm sharing that more with people. Uh, the next thing I'm doing, I'm, I'm going out and meeting more people. I'm doing house parties. The first two times I ran for office, I really didn't do house parties. So we're out almost every day meeting with people. And, uh, you know, I get to learn about a lot of what, what people feel about their city. And I get to share what I want to do for the city. So you can say I'm treating this a little different, and the feedback has been incredible. So how how are things going with with Steve Novick? I mean, you're you're obviously you you have supported him in the past, absolutely, and and now it seems as if part of the uh, you have some personal catalysts that is pushing you in, and and strong desires that are pushing your campaign, but you're also you are running specifically against Steve Novick. Yes, I picked Steve Novick to run against simply because he's a bully. I absolutely hated how he approached the people of Portland in 2013, 2014. He actually became nice after he heard I was going to run against him. You know, uh, it's amazing what happened. Uh, you know, he was actually a bully and a brute until uh, July of last year when he heard that he, he had at least one person going to run against him. Um, but no, I, Steve Novick doesn't want this job. And it breaks my heart because I think Steve Novick is a very smart guy. Um, I... Uh, I, I I, I, I voted for him in 2008 and 2012. 2008 for Senate, 2012 for City Council. And uh, I expected a lot more out of Steve in 2012. I expected him to show more progressive minerals than he has. The guy has shown absolutely no progressive minerals whatsoever. Um, his war on the poor, his war on business doesn't make sense. It's nonsensical. But I don't know. Uh, I figure somebody poor has pissed him off, and some small business person has pissed him off, so he's coming in two-fisted. Um, the street fee uh, was a horrible idea, but what was even worse was how he introduced it to the city and how he led it through the city. 
I've never seen any city commissioner treat the people of Portland that bad. I mean, we've had bullies on city council before. They're no angels, but we've never had anybody like a Steve. Un- unpack that a little bit more about the street fee. How do you feel like uh, it? Sh- how do you think it should have been introduced, or or at least the the? Uh... It should have been introduced at all. Um, Steve Novick is wasting t- millions of dollars of money in poor poor uh, positional as far as priority planning for for PDOT. It's absolutely atrocious. If he put more time into being a leader for that bureau, um, he would be able to do more with what he's got. And then even if we do need more money, there would be specific projects he could commit to that are absolutely going to be done, um, which is something that he's not doing today. It's kind of like, I need this money. Well, why do you need it? Well, we need this. We need that. Every joint appearance I've had with Steve, he's thrown in another project that he says this you know, this this tax, now he's going for a, a gas tax, will pay for. But he can't give anybody a document committing to what exact projects are going to be uh, addressed if you give him more money. Uh, bottom line, th- their shortfall comes from poor management, poor leadership. And that's poor management, poor leadership under his direction. Fred, we're gonna we're gonna take this out here, but because this is the nonprofit hour, let uh, could you name off three nonprofits that you know your favorites or ones that you feel like are really important uh, to you? I, you've already mentioned Reach. Yep, I've always liked Reach. Um, I've never let the let the community down. PCRI is another one I've always had a lot of respect for, um, an incredible amount of respect for. Um, and then the third one, I don't know if it's around anymore because um, I haven't heard anything about them in a long time with the Saban Community Association. They, that one I always liked, but I haven't heard from them in, in years. I mean, there's other nonprofits out there too, but I look for ones that I, I can... I'm a real estate man. I like things tangible, changing, you know what I mean? I like to put my hand on the, on the change, and these are organizations that have done that, especially REACH. I mean, REACH and PCRI. I tell people if REACH and PCRI had not succeeded at the level that they that they have, we would have uh, many more people living on the street uh, than we do today. So I, I can never say too much about PCRI or REACH. Fred Stewart is a candidate for city council. Uh, you can find out more information, Fred, at your website, which is? FredStewart.com. And thank you so much for the work that you've done for the city and the work that you're hoping to do. How about one more song to take us out? Um, for us? Um, Nine Inch Nails, All the Love in the World. All right. Yep. Excellent.
If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Nonprofit Hour from the Media Institute for Social Change on X-Ray FM. To become a supporting member of the Media Institute and find out more about their work, you can visit MediaMakingChange.org. Members receive annual benefits and support programs such as the Nonprofit Hour and their summer documentary program. The Nonprofit Hour is also brought to you in part by generous support from Pacific Continental Bank and BusinessWorks. Find out more at therightbank.com or businessworkspdx.com. Once again, we'd also like to urge you to support this station by becoming a member of X-Ray FM by going to www.xray.fm and clicking on the big blue donate button in the top corner, or you can call to 503-610-6103 and become a member, please, uh, and support this great radio station. Now, back to our show. Next up, we'll tune in to our last Nonprofit Hour live show and Phil Bussey's talk with Portland mayoral candidate David Shore. We'll first be hearing a song from our live event house band, Irving, and then Phil. is, of course, Irving. Uh, you guys play so great together. It's a, that, was, that was a cue for another round of applause for them. This is Phil Bussey. It's the Nonprofit Hour on X-Ray FM. We have been talking with candidates uh, throughout the, the campaign season and are really excited to have David Shore, who's one of the candidates for mayor. Thank you for coming in, David. Very happy to be here. Um, 
It's a, it's been an exciting race. You have uh, you have a wide open field, as it were. I mean, there's obviously uh, one uh, well moneyed candidate that's out there, but otherwise, it seems like the field's pretty open. Yeah, I think the the dynamics in the race have changed a lot, but the the overall look of the race isn't that different from when it was when I jumped into the race. Really, I, I started running in this race when Charlie Hales dropped out. So. I knew I was going to be running against Ted Wheeler from the start, and I feel like I'm still just running against Ted Wheeler. He's the big elephant in the room in terms of this race. Everybody else pretty much seems like they're at even footing against Ted because he's got way more money than anybody else and way more name recognition, and he's getting an amazing amount of free press. Uh, David, I also want to point out that, that, I mean, this is radio. We are doing a live recording over here at the Waypost, but for those of you that aren't going to see it, I appreciate it. You came dressed up. You, you have a pinstripe uh, uh, suit on. You've had the jacket off, but it's, you, you look, you're, you're well-dressed. Thank you for coming in like that for radio. Well, it's, it's the weekend, so I did ditch the tie, but I, I, you know, I respect the folks of Portland. I respect their time, and I respect the office of mayor. I think it's a, an office that deserves respect, and the person who is going to inhabit that office should carry themselves with the respect that is appropriate for that office. So I, I want to talk about the issues in a bit, but I want to talk about the background that you're coming from. So you're, you are an attorney, you're the assistant attorney general uh, for the Department of Justice. Well, I'm an assistant attorney general. There are many, but yes, I'm, I'm an assistant attorney general for the Oregon Department of Justice, and I very much enjoy working for the people of Oregon in that capacity. And, and what sort of cases are you handling in that? I, I, you're obviously handling criminal cases, but do you have a particular... No, actually, I'm in the civil enforcement division. So I work strictly on civil cases, and I'm working right now on a, a really large case that involves um, a settlement with the tobacco companies that is still in litigation. And you have a, a, a quite a bit of background also. You've, you've worked with the ACLU and the Oregon Justice Resource Center. Can you talk about those two organizations? So the ACLU is an organization that I've been a, a supporter of and a, and a friend of for a very long time, but I was honored to have an opportunity to, to work with them while I was a student at Lewis and Clark Law School. And working with them, I was able to do some really specific focused work on criminal justice issues in Oregon around prisoners' rights and the way that people are treated in our criminal justice system. And those are things that are really close to my heart. Those are actually the issues that brought me to law school in the first place, is the, the social justice and the problems that our government has in actually addressing the, the criminal element in our society and not actually doing law enforcement in a way that leads to better outcomes, but really focusing on this kind of incarceration and punishment model that we have been able to demonstrate over time is not the most effective approach. And, and that, please whistle and... Um, <laughs> and, and I think that's what, what's interesting, and I'm, I'm not trying to put you on the hot seat here, but you are both in, in your job and, and the issues that you just talked about, those are, your job is federal issues and the issues that you're talking about are largely state and federal issues. Why look at a city hall, a local government city hall? Well, the, the Portland mayor's race is kind of a unique one. I mean, the position itself has a lot of public visibility on the national and international stage. But fundamentally, I'm a Portlander. I live here. I really care about this city. And I feel that it's really important that we have leadership that respects the needs of the people of Portland. And I feel that's something that has been lacking. And I've watched us have a series of mayors that only serve for one term and then skulked away into the distance. And I think we need someone who's willing to stay here and is willing to make a commitment to spend the time and the energy necessary to let the people of Portland have their voice heard and really have a city that reflects the spirit of the people that live here. Um, as a Portlander, then I'm, I'm going to quiz you. Who's, who has been your favorite mayor? 
my favorite mayor going back all the way. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, it's, it is really fun. And, and if people haven't ever visited the mayor's office, it's, it's, worth, it's worth the tour just to look at the beards of, of the uh, 19th century mayors of William Mason has this amazing beard that, that puts to shame any hipster, uh, any, any the, the framed photographs there are quite amazing. Yeah, and I have to admit, I will not be able to compete on the beard front, but the, the last mayor that really inspires me in a special way, I would say, is Bud Clark, and of course he fits in that category. And one of the biggest things that he did that really inspires me, and it's something that I, I hope to kind of bring back as mayor is the involvement at the neighborhood level of our communities. He was one of the instrumental people in building up the, the neighborhood associations to actually be a force in shaping the future of the, the city, the built environment that we live in. And I think from the visits that I've had with neighborhood associations, I've actually been going around and speaking with neighborhood associations across the city, and they universally feel that City Hall is no longer listening. That, that City Hall is asking them to rubber stamp decisions that have already been made and that at the front end of the process where their input could really have an impact and really be important to developing policy, they are not being consulted. And that's something that I really hope to change. It's something that you know Bud Clark was instrumental in creating. And unfortunately, over the last three decades, we've seen that deteriorate. And I think it's something that we need to go back to because we know that it works. Do you have a thought on why it has deteriorated? Well, I think that we, we have to ultimately look at the folks in City Hall and, and lay the blame at their feet that for whatever reason, it may be different from one administration to the next, they have not seen the value in that involvement from the neighborhoods as important enough to focus on and to prioritize. They have found other ways of getting input on the policies that they want to proceed with. And I think that's a mistake. I think we need to go back to really listening to the people at that really granular level. There's a reason that we have these neighborhoods and that we're organized this way. It's, it's not something that is convenient. It's not something that's easy. But it's something that if we do it right, leads to the best possible outcomes for everyone. And I think that really should be our goal. And that should be the goal of whoever occupies our mayor's office. So, so that's, that's obviously that's an issue that you're very uh, concerned and passionate about. Let's, uh, can you give me your top three issues that, that matter to you? Well, I'd say the, the biggest issue, and I don't think anyone is going to really argue on this, is housing, you know, including affordable housing and homelessness within that. But the, the broad situation in terms of housing affordability in our city is atrocious. And that is the very top priority for me. And I've been working with organizations in the community. I've been speaking with the Welcome Home Coalition and a lot of the other folks that are associated with them that are looking at a systemic way to solve this problem, looking at this from 30,000 feet. How do we really make sure that we get our hands around this? And the one thing that they've been telling me that they really need to have for us to solve this problem is a source of revenue that is dedicated to affordable housing. And to the best of my knowledge, I'm the only candidate in the mayor's race that has actually offered a proposal to create a new revenue source that is dedicated to affordable housing that's actually sufficient to solve this problem. And you're going to increase the taxes on Airbnb? No, the proposal... <laughs> what is the proposal? So my, my proposal as part of my community housing initiative is to create a tax on the top 1% of income earners in Portland. That would be about an 8% tax rate, and it would be enough to fund affordable housing in Portland for the foreseeable future. Okay. Uh, second issue that really matters to you. So the second big issue that I would focus on would be police reform. You know, I'm kind of torn between prioritizing police reform and environment in that second slot, but I have to say that unfortunately, because of some of the most recent activities that we've seen with the interaction between our police force and our community, I have to put reforming our police department as the second on that list. It is a very important thing. It's one of the most fundamental things that the city does in terms of governance. And it's also typically one of the things that the mayor is primarily responsible for. Usually the mayor is the police commissioner and I would take on that role and I would use that as an opportunity to take what I've learned as someone who's worked with the Oregon Justice Resource Center on you know, 
issues related to criminal enforcement and appeals and from the work I've done with ACLU, you know, I want to bring that perspective of social justice and really help the Portland Police Department to reconnect with the community because we've, we've lost that mutual respect that we need for them to actually be able to do their job effectively. And unless we actually start at the base level with the policies and with reforming the kind of contract that we have with the police department, we're not going to actually be able to fix these problems. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit more because I think that there is a romantic version that, that is out there that we've lost this idea of community policing. Portland Police Bureau has a horrible record over 20, 25 years. I mean, there, there are any number of incidents. There are settlements and lawsuits that, uh, between the city, I mean, just 10 years ago, there was a million dollar settlement. There's been any number of wrongful shootings. Uh, um, how would you change that? And also considering that as mayor, you can be head of that bureau. However, the police union is obviously a very strong force. What would you be doing to negotiate with the police union? And, and why do you think that you could bring uh, some muscle to that, that that hasn't been there? Well, it's a challenge, but I think part of the problem is that we haven't had anybody that really committed to trying. I think that, that you have to come to it with the attitude that you have to make a change, that we, we cannot go forward on the same basis that we've been going forward because we know what the results are. We've seen people dying on our streets, being killed by people who are our representatives, and then we have no recourse. And those, those people that we would rather not have enforcing the laws are back on our police force. And that's a really fundamental thing that we need to have control of. If we're going to be a city that can respect its own citizens, we have to be able to have control over who's representing us as a city. And I know that's going to be a tough negotiation with the police unions. I have no illusions about that. But I think that the knowledge that I have, the background that I have in criminal justice and understanding those issues is going to help me to actually go through that process in a way that they will understand where I'm coming from and I will understand where they're coming from in a really fundamental way that will allow us to find that common ground. I know they're going to push back. I know they're going to be upset about some of the stuff I want to do. But ultimately, what I want to do is going to make their job easier too. And I think when we get to sit down, they will understand that and we will find that common ground. This is Phil Bussey, it's the nonprofit. I were talking with David Shore, who is a candidate for Portland mayor. And you were giving us uh, your top three issues that you are working on. And, and I'm limiting you to three. I know that you have more than that. But uh, your third, the final slot, who are you going to put on the, the bronze medal part of the podium? So yeah, I could, I could choose a lot of different things. But I think ultimately, the environment is really the, the big issue that we have to talk about. You know, Portland has the opportunity and, and it has taken some steps to be a leader in this realm, but I think at this juncture in history, Portland can do so much more. You know, as a city and as a community, the passion here behind divesting from fossil fuels, behind getting rid of fossil fuel infrastructure, behind really pushing towards the sustainable carbon neutral future that we know we have to get to, this is our opportunity. This is where we can make that investment. We can turn the corner and we can show the rest of the world how it's done but it's gonna take some leadership from the city itself and it's also gonna take collaboration. I think that's probably the, the most important thing to talk about here at the Nonprofit Hour is that there's a huge amount of expertise, there's a huge amount of knowledge in Portland about how to solve this problem. But our city government is not putting that knowledge into practice. It's not connecting with the nonprofits and the other organizations that have that knowledge to really fully apply those lessons in Portland. And I think we can do that in so many ways, you know, through our zoning code, through the investments that the city itself makes. There's a lot of things that we can do to improve our environmental impacts. But it ultimately, the, the way to do that is to collaborate. And I think that that's a really interesting point because there are a number of organizations uh, from, from uh, Willamette Riverkeeper to Friends of the Trees to, to uh, Bike Transportation Alliance that are working on various issues there. Um, 
what role does City Hall then have in that? I mean, there are obviously bureaus of sustainability uh, and there, there's Parks and Rec. What, where do you see that line between what the public sphere can do and what the, the, uh, the, the nonprofit sphere can do? Well, there are some things that the, the public sphere is really good at. The public sphere is really good at really big projects, really big infrastructure projects and things like that that need to be done. If you have to have a big change made, you're going to have to go through the government to make it happen. But the government is not really good at getting down to the granular level, and the government is not really that great at developing the deep kind of competency and knowledge that you need to actually tackle these types of systemic problems. The nature of government, particularly elected government, is that we have a lot of turnover. We, ha we lose a lot of knowledge and institutional experience when that happens. But if we rely on other organizations within the community to back us up, we actually aren't going to end up losing as much. You know, if we really make that connection solid with the, the organizations in the community that are focused on these specific issues, it frees the government up from having to do that specific work. You know, we, we have this resource of all of these nonprofits in our community, and it's a waste to not integrate that work into facilitating change through the government. And, and um Let's just finish this out. Like, how can you just give us some insights on how you're enjoying the race? Has it has it been fun? Has it been frustrating? Has it been all of the above? I'd say definitely all of the above. It started out, you know, as as something that I knew would be a great challenge. You know, to go up against someone like Ted Wheeler with all the money that they have, and particularly just to even get into the media as a first-time candidate is a challenge. But the the strategy that I've taken is just to to really be solid on the issues, to understand the policy and to reach out to people really face-to-face. -face. That's really been the primary way that I've gone out, is going out to forums, going out in the public, going out to the meetings of nonprofit organizations and neighborhood associations, and really spending time getting to know people and getting to know what is really concerning them. And I think by doing that, I've, I've come to see where some of the things in city government are not going right, where we've missed the boat. And I also am seeing that there's a, a hunger for someone who's willing to offer some bold solutions, someone that's willing to actually take a risk and make a proposal that might not be popular with everyone, but that will actually achieve the goals that we're all setting. Because this is the, what's been most frustrating for me out of the race, is that the candidates all basically have the same goals. We all talk about the same problems in the city, but we need to talk about the solutions. And it really concerns me that we have a mayoral race where we're not able to actually talk about how we're going to solve the problems. because. The, the folks that we got at the top of the list on our, on our ballot right now, they're really good at, at speaking. They're really good at rhetoric. But I'm not seeing them offer anything concrete that will actually solve these problems. And that really concerns me. You know, we could go through this entire election process, and if we never actually talk about the issues, if we never talk about how are we actually going to solve these problems, what are the steps that need to be taken, then we're having an exercise in talking about dreams and fantasies that are never going to come true. And that, that worries me, because I, I'm concerned that Portland is at a turning point. Other candidates have said we're at a turning point, and if we don't turn the right direction, it's going to be a very, very tough road to get back to where we need to be. David Shore is a candidate for Portland's mayor. Thank you so much for joining us. And, and so we usually ask our, our interviewees to bring in a song or, or recommend uh, a song to play. And, and as a true Portlander and a do-it-yourselfer, you have your own band. Yeah, I, I provided some tracks from my band, Babel Echo. We actually released a, our full-length CD just a last summer before last, and uh, we're really excited about it. But um, it's got some really great social commentary songs. Actually, our, we, we talk a lot about the systemic injustices in our society as part of our music, so I thought it was appropriate to, to bring some of that to the show as well. David, thank you so much. Thank you, Phil.
a song from our mayoral candidate David Shore's band and we are pleased to bring back to the stage for one final show one final song to bring us out Irving
We've now come to the end of this week's Nonprofit Hour show. The show has been produced and edited by myself, Jason Dennington, and is recorded at the production studios of X-Ray FM. You can follow us on Facebook or via our Twitter handle, at Nonprofit Hour, and find archives of past shows on our SoundCloud page. If you'd like to make a comment or a suggestion about an organization we should profile on a future show, please send an email to nph at mediamakingchange.org. We'd like to thank our guests on the show this week, City Council candidate Fred Stewart, Portland mayoral candidate David Shore, and Josh and Chris from the Nonprofit Hour Live House Band Irving. We'd also like to thank the Media Institute for Social Change, our regular hosts Phil Bussey and Julie Falk, KXRY Radio, X-Ray FM, our supporters Pacific Continental Bank and BusinessWorks, and most of all to you, our regular listeners. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you have a great week, and join us again next week at noon on Monday for the Nonprofit Hour Show. From the show of shows in the morning to Tom Hartman, five quadrants to the Nonprofit Hour. Thanks to the Nonprofit Hour, and thanks to all of you. And call 503-610-6103. It's 503-610-6103. Become a member. Make a gift. 20 bucks a month. Get a cool t-shirt. Do one of the auctions. Get more than that. Make a one-time gift. 10 bucks a month, 5 bucks a month for students, seniors, and starving artists. If you're already a member, boost your pledge. But help in some way. Give something. Please. 503-610-6103. 503-610-6103. Or go online and click the blue donate button at xray.fm. Radio's yours. Help us make more.